When are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express Card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Did you know that most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate, but not with 80 Acres Farms? Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled, going from farm to store in days, not weeks. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's no need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Welcome back to Locatora Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We're here. This is Dios FM. And this is Mala Munoz. This is another installation installment of Brown Girl Hour. Yes, Capitulo 13. And if you're tuning in for the first time or if you're a regular listener, just to remind y'all, Locatora Radio is where we celebrate the brilliance, legacies, and geniuses of women and femmes of color. Yes, this is the space where we talk about Femme, feminine, woman of color, creativity, innovation. And today we're actually going to be making some announcements. We have a very special guest on the show today on this capítulo. We're so excited to introduce you to her. She's fab. And we're going to revisit our first capítulo, which is loca epistemology. Right. But before we get to that, um, we're actually recording at Espacio 1839. Yes, we are. So Espacio is a community space, art space, boutique in Highland Park. I'm, oh my God, no. Not in Boyle Heights. Girl. Whoops. <laughs> in, in Boyle Heights. I'm yes. thinking about mi vida, sorry. 
Uh, in Boyle Heights, it's on First Street. And what else? Uh, well, we have had some really exciting experiences recently as as a podcast. Yes, we have. Um, we were fortunate to uh, be invited by our good friend, good friend Silky to speak at her Chicano Studies, Chicana Artivism class mm -hmm. at UCLA. Yeah, it was amazing. We did a presentation on the podcast on Locatora Radio and our radiophonic novella. And we discussed um, what it what it means to reimagine what a novella is, right? So we were working with, or we were, did our presentation with freshman students. Yes, and uh, it's an artivism class. Yeah. So uh, Silky, the she's a professor. She's in what her fifth year. She's a PhD candidate. PhD yes. candidate, but she also teaches. Yes. And. Um, she was talking to us about the curriculum of this class and how it has a lot to do with the way that art is used mm -hmm. as resistance but also as healing right. in different um, Chicanx movements. Uh, before we spoke to her class, uh, we basically just gave an overview of the podcast, What is a Radiophonic Novella? And she had shown like a film that she herself had filmed and directed. So mm -hmm. she's awesome. Thank you, Silky, yeah, and, and thank all you, the students. Silky. Yeah, it was really great because for our final activity that we did with them, uh, so it wouldn't be just a lecture, we actually had them create, have work in twos or work in pairs and then have them create their own podcast. Yes. And, and some of my favorites, one of them was like two API women and they titled their podcast, it would be Panay Bitches. Yes, they were I loved so that. cute. And then there was like brown <laughs> bitches. It was really great. I and, loved it. And then there was one that was, uh, they said that they would call theirs PWI. Right. And they would go around and basically collect stories from people of color about their experiences at a predominantly white institution. Yeah. Mm. And speaking of a PWI. Yes. <laughs> which has. Yeah, this is a good transition. So we have a guest. We Hi have guys. a guest. So this Hello, is Kayla, Kayla Forey. Yes. Um, I know you as Kayla Safata Forey. Yes. <laughs> And yes. we met at a PWI. Yes, at Tufts in Boston. At Tufts in Boston. Mm -hmm. And um, Kayla does a lot. And I'm going to let, <laughs> go ahead and tell our listeners who you are, yeah. what you've been up to, yeah. and, you know, like give them in some insight into your work. Yeah. So I'm Kayla. I grew up in California. My family is Colombian from Cali. And my mom's side is African American from the South, Virginia. Um, and so for me, I studied international relations at Tufts, and then after that, I went and started living and working in Ghana, where I worked with an ethical fashion in, uh, brand called Studio 189. It's co-founded by actress Rosario Dawson and Abrima Erwia, yes, who's a former um, a brand exec for Bottega Veneta and like Gucci and things like that. Wow. So the two of them have been best friends since high school. And they both are very, very passionate about, you know, giving back to the community, but then also creating jobs and supporting women. And so they kind of use their expertise to create this platform using the arts and fashion um, in Ghana. And so I work directly with the artisans. Um, yeah. That's beautiful. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And how did you get started with Studio 189? Like what, because, you know, um, I feel mm -hmm. like, at, you know, at Tufts and in college, right. you were studying international relations. Right. Kalo was also a competitive speed skater. Yes. Wow. <laughs> like the list yes. just goes on and on, you know? Yeah. But how did you find yourself working with 
Rosario, working in Ghana, working in yeah. fashion? Yeah, so I guess after graduating, I felt like I was learning so much about economies and cultures and like a very macro level, big scale. Mm -hmm. And I was really interested in being on the ground and I was kind of tired of like think tanks mm, being in a more shit. corporate <laughs> you know environment and i kind of wanted to do something that was a little bit more creative and maybe a little bit more um, innovative in its approach um, and so i went to ghana right after graduating and my aunt actually my mom's sister she works in aid like more traditional aid and so she was stationed in ghana so for me it was a really nice transition because i had somebody who was there who was really familiar with the culture who had lived who knew me growing up, you know, but then also um, could kind of help me get settled. And so while I was there, I found out about Studio 189, actually through Instagram. Of course. <laughs> of course. Yes. Of course. We're, Instagram, we're all about this. Instagram, you know, just makes all the connections happen. Yeah, so, absolutely. I yeah, agree. And shout out to the Urban Bush Babes, TK Wonder, Cipriana. Oh. They have this amazing blog. They have natural hair. They highlight fashion. It's a platform also for women of color. Um, so I was following them, I was really into fashion in general and African fashions and making my own things while I was, you know, first months in Ghana and I saw them post about Rosario and Abrima and Studio 189 I thought, wow, that's a really great way to kind of tie all my interests together about, you know, businesses and development, but then also kind of this creative side. Yeah. And so I just kind of emailed them from there. So you live, <laughs> you live in Accra, right? Yeah. So can you talk Accra. a little bit about your experience living there? How long have you been there? It's been almost two years or so. Um, Accra is really wonderful. I think at first it takes a little bit of patience. Mm -hmm. Things don't run the same way they're here. Right. You have to be aware that you're in a completely different environment. Um, but at the same time, people are very warm. They're very friendly. They want to know your story. Um, and so I just found that it was really easy to kind of adapt into that culture because it was just so welcoming. And how has that experience been for you as, and maybe we'll get into this when, when we start talking about the local epistemology, right, right? right? But, you know, you mentioned the blog. Yeah. And and you are blogging now too. Yes, Do you want to talk about, <laughs> about your blog, blog. Yeah. blogging, yeah. fashion, traveling, being in Ghana and how all of that has fit in together for you? Yeah, so I have a blog called Tehindo Experiences. It's wow. a bilingual blog. It's in Spanish and English. I talk about my experiences as an Afro-Latina in Ghana because I found that in my family, everyone was always asking me about Ghana. They're like, ah, oh, Ghana. Mm. Oh, I wonder about the fabrics. It's so pretty. What do people do? And to me, I found so much overlap between our cultures. Like, even in, like, the food. Right. They eat plantains. Right. They eat a lot of the foods that you eat in Colombia, but then also, like, in Virginia, where there's, like, a lot of peanuts and there's a lot of yams mm. and things like that. You know, or there's a yuca and, like, sancocho and, mm -hmm. like, eating stews, growing up with that kind of culture. And then... You go somewhere like Ghana, and it's like, oh, this is kind of where it comes from. <laughs> right. You know, you kind of see where it like fits together, like, uh, like certain things. Yeah. Um, so for me, I think it's been really interesting to kind of live there, and I think based off of both my family and friends are interested in what I was doing in the U.S., but then also in Colombia and Spain, who were constantly asking me what I was doing. I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll try to make a platform and like, you know, working with 
a lot of creatives. I kind of was inspired by some of them. So right. Like, That's just amazing. Give it a try. <laughs> and, and so can you tell us the name of your blog again and where people can find it? Yeah, so it's tejentoexperiences.com. Um, I have my Instagram page is a link. So if you go at Kayla Foray, K-A-Y-L-A-F-O-R-Y, there's a link in my description. Tejiendo yeah. Experiences, I love it. And, yes. and, and you also are basically like Colombian like soccer royalty as well. What? Tell I know. Us. Tell, Tell us. Because everybody wants <laughs> to know. Did you really think you were going to be able to be on here and not talk about this Colombiana royalty or like, what? It's true. Yeah. So, <laughs> so my, it's true. Yeah, so my dad, he um, he played on the like U19 national team in Colombia and he was a coach so my whole life like at Stanford he coached like Julie Fadley and like Mia Hamm, Christy Chastain, all those women that were on the American team. He Amazing. coached them before they were on that team. Wow. Yeah, and then like I have cousins who play like El Trencito, Jose Valencia. He's yeah, <laughs> he's a cousin. That's her then, cousin. Damn. Yeah, and then um, <laughs> yes. Christian Zapata at El AC Milan. He's a second cousin too. So like literally, you know, like <laughs> we watch <Queen. laughs> we watch World Cup a lot. Like I'm sure yeah. it gets real crazy at home. And are you yourself a soccer player? <laughs> um, I grew up, I think, walking and then playing soccer. Mm. <laughs> okay, but I kind of chose to do other sports. Um, I did volleyball in high school, and mm-hmm. I used to ski skate and things like that. But I didn't end up sticking with it. But you know, yeah, I had it in my blood. Yeah, <laughs> of course, it's there. It's, it's there. there. It's there. And I'm so curious. Like, I imagine that you know everybody has their personal style. You know, yeah. you your street style, whatever has influenced you, your look. Yeah. How has working in a fashion house? influenced your look because I can just just knowing you like over the years I feel like you've definitely like evolved into your own look like since working at Studio 189 Mm. being in Ghana I see it like you look fab you (laughs) look amazing you look fab for our listeners let's describe what she's wearing right now Kayla describe for the listeners what you put together today (laughs) and we'll post a picture we'll post a picture with all of us okay um so I'm wearing like a shirt dress it's a button down it's very long it's tie and dye uh made by artisans in Ghana it's so it's blue and white and then I kind of have it partially tucked in so you can see my pencil skirt and the pencil skirt is hand woven from Senegal it's actually from my aunt she had it when she was in Peace Corps oh my god and so I have a couple of her pieces that you know she's carried around from being in Africa for the last what 30 40 something years this is the same aunt yeah okay same aunt who's in Ghana so she's lived all over so I think I got a little inspiration from her and then my mom and then also working in a fashion house and being around so many creative people on the photo shoots with the stylist you realize that you don't have to wear something the way it's maybe marketed or like designed Mm -hmm. so like you could wear a skirt as a dress or you could wear a pareo scarf as a skirt or you know Mm. like there's so much that you can do or I've seen people take like belts and make like tube tops and you're like oh I didn't know that was a thing and then people right right <laughs> you know then you're like but it's so cute and so, <laughs> so I think being around that energy has helped me like be more creative and kind of look yeah. and see okay well what could I do with this and I like to get pieces that are more versatile so I can dress it like up or down because 
sometimes you have to go in and out between places, and so it's nice to be able to do something really quick and like change the whole look. Amazing. I love that. And so, how would you describe your style maybe pre like working in fashion? Stop it, you read my mind. I was gonna ask. Yeah, and and today. I was gonna ask that. Yeah. I feel like before it was probably a lot more like practical. (laughs) Like it wasn't as like stylish. Okay. I think because I was also you know, with sports was really big part of my life, especially mm-hmm. as a student, because I was on the volleyball team, I did track, and I was skating. So I was often in between gyms. Mm-hmm. So to be completely honest, I feel like it was like a lot more like practical, just kind of like not thinking so much about it. And so I think going to Ghana kind of really opened up this whole creative side of me yeah. that I really enjoyed to play with the different colors and the prints and kind of mix and match yeah. styles and like, wovens with things that are printed and like how you kind of pair it together so it looks cohesive and I would imagine that like for example being in Boston yes yeah. fashion is it's not really fashion it's it just isn't. it's it just isn't. covering it's yeah. just protection it's so cold <laughs> you know and it's like there's no sunshine it's a little dreary and you know, people would just go into class, like, sad, <laughs> like, sad. sad. So it's like there wasn't really a whole lot of inspiration to be like, right. oh, let me go do this today. I have, a, I have a question because Mala is always serving some looks. So oh, thank you. Can, you, can you tell us a little bit about Mala in college? What was she like at Tufts? <laughs> what was mess. she dressing like? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> just trying to stay warm. <laughs> just trying to stay alive. That's so true, though. No, I feel like... Oh man, you were just such a force. Thank I you. I just remember that about you. Like Thank you, you went to Cuba, and I was like, God damn! Like, oh, why can't I go to Cuba? And, and then, then you I, like, did. basically did, yeah. And then you did. And I just like Cuba. called you, and I was like, How do I do this? <laughs> how do I do this? That's true. That's true. So I mean, that's how I always saw you. I saw you as someone who's like super independent. You kind of were go getter. You're like always out there. You're like a leader. Aww. Like even like freshman year, I was like. She's from California, so we had a Cali connection. Yeah, you know, because we were kind of cold. Like we were cold. First year. <laughs> but I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that environment and location and climate changes everything. It does about, yes. about your clothes, really even does. your like your your social circle. Yo, it does. We have seen that with the Mommy Collective. Yeah, you know That's how so our true. styles have evolved because we're always together or we yeah, go out right. together and we're I mean like are we doing casual today are we doing like right, high glam right. what are we doing tonight no that's so true like you know being in Ghana and like, depending on who I was around because sometimes I'm with more I'm like in the village which is a very different style than mm-hmm. maybe going to like a red more red carpet event or something like that and I feel like I had to learn to kind of transition into this mm. wide range of events of like okay so how do I dress knowing that I have to do this and then that like two hours mm. later? <laughs> versatile. Thing yeah, you know, so that's why I like the versatile things that you dress up and down, lots of buttons, you can kind of pull things apart and like make it look very different. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And um, what is it like working with Rosario? Yeah. I love Rosario. Rosario is one of those actresses that I feel like she's worked consistently but she's always been true to her craft like she's right, a true right. actress you know and like really anytime I've seen her in a film like I, I, I see her acting um, and I really just like I've always admired her always admired her and I think she's so beautiful she's and she, so she really beautiful. Is. she's so beautiful and she it's is. I think it's so cool that you get to work with her <laughs> so like I, I want to know more yeah, can you tell us a little bit about that 
Um, she, yes, she's amazing. Oh man, go mama. Yeah. We love her so much. We love her. Oh. Um, <laughs> she is just so incredibly passionate about what she does, but then also incredibly professional, you know, and to kind of see her go in and out from, you know, maybe talking to you on the side about one thing or other, but she also has a very good eye, and so she has a lot of feedback for people, and she's really amazing mentor and I think she's really open to teaching people and using her experience to kind of be a platform for others I think that's the whole point of Studio 189 of her mm. and Abrema really wanted to be a platform to give awareness and maybe elevate the craft of what was you know already in country and what was tradition um, and so I think that was something I really looked up to her about was how she could kind of navigate in between being like this persona like outside but then coming in and then being such a mentor so loving but then so passionate about what she does but then also you know knows how to work get her stuff done mm -hmm. she goes in the shoot it's like three images perfect shots boom done Love and it. you know what wow. i mean it's like some people go in and it's like it takes a little while to like feel it with the camera or you know get the vibe right but she's just like in and out she's a boss yeah she's just a boss and you just like see her put that face on you're like <laughs> Mama. She's at work. <laughs> yeah, like she didn't come to play. <laughs> you know, so I thought that was, you know, really inspiring to be around. Like yeah. that kind of woman that, you know, is so dynamic. I love it. Yeah, I, I love, love it. it. Well, I'm so happy for you that you've like gotten the chance to work with somebody like her. Yeah. And I think um, now this is a good place for us to take a little break and play our song, do a song break. Podcasteras Peligrosas. back into this capitulo mm -hmm. you know this is basically loca epistemologies part two yeah and we're really happy um kayla to have you here to like join us in this conversation so happy to be here guys yes yeah. uh, so just to recap our first ever capitulo was called loca epistemologies right. mm -hmm. and we basically talked about this trope this ongoing you know uh, this ongoing phenomenon that we see like in a lot of our latin american folklore especially speaking specifically about like Chicano, Mexican, Mexican-American folklore, talking about La Llorona, mm -hmm. right? Um, La Malinche, different female figures in history that have always been taught to us and read to us as being, you know, traidoras right, or as being right. locas in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. And in loca epistemologies, what we try to do is unpack that, flip the script, and look at that woman, that figure, as mm. a survivor, as someone mm, who yeah. has survived trauma and her behavior is a response to trauma, right? right? Right. So we're continuing that discussion and we're bringing in more examples right. of that trope and historically of women who have been really uh, traumatized and but then also punished. Right, and right. I think in our day-to-day -day lives we can see, even on the internet, women 
that are women of color, especially femmes that are talking about, you know, hashtag men are trash. Right. Are being told that they're crazy. Yes. Mm-hmm. I hope I hope the love of your life sees this sees your Twitter page and decides not to be with you anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Shit like that. Exactly. Like men talking, trying to clap back, but actually not saying anything. Not right. saying anything. Per usual. Per usual. So and Kayla, it you were talking to us before we started recording about mm-hmm. a good example of a, right. a, a look epistemology. Right. Right. Um. So I love the book Beloved by Toni Morrison. Yeah. And she has this really strong character. Um, called named Seed, and she is this woman who leaves slavery, you know, in the South and walks herself to Ohio, where she starts her new life. She has kids, and she has such a such a painful history, mm-hmm. you know, and such painful encounters with I think white people in general, because um, this is you know around Civil Warish time period, and so. There is a point in the novel. I don't know. I want to give away the whole novel, but but I, I feel like it's it's a it's a work that's been out. Yeah. yeah okay. You can okay. Talk about so it's it. been well out. For, it's yeah. true. It's true. Okay. So so basically, towards the end, you know, you find out that there's this huge conflicted history there because, as a way to protect her children from I, the pain and the suffering of being just black in America in that time, when she's confronted with the Klan she opts to kill one of her own kids and it became this huge news story and then she was ostracized from the black community. She had no space. It became this, you know, overly bearing um, trauma for her in addition to what she had already been (laughs) experiencing, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, But I think that kind of touches right along the lines of what you're talking about, how it's like this continuing narrative for so long with women of color, whether it's you know, femmes in Latin America or in the U.S., you know, that's just unfortunately something that's persisted for so, so long. Yeah, absolutely. And I, it, I think that it's also so interesting that in a lot of different, whether it's like U.S., United States context or in Latin America, you do have stories mm-hmm. um, of people either killing themselves to right. avoid being conquered or enslaved Mm -hmm. or killing their children or setting oneself on fire, right? To basically free yourself of trauma and confinement here on earth. Mm -hmm. Right. But obviously there's also this conflicting phenomenon where anybody who is deemed or considered suicidal, right? Right. That's a very negative thing and there's a lot of stigma and people are not really allowed to have that type of agency over their own life. Right, because right. they're just crazy. Uh huh. Right. Not doesn't account for like the the crazy making that happens in their lives. Right, the systems that mm-hmm. led to that behavior. It's not just that they woke up that way. Right. And you were you, Kayla. You were telling us a little bit about reading Beloved while in Ghana. Right. You know, and I think for me, it's such a powerful experience as someone who identifies with the diaspora, um, like on both sides of my family from mm. very different parts of the continent, um, and then being in Ghana, where there are a lot of slave castles just lining mm-hmm. the coast, and so to kind of look out into the water and know that this was somebody's maybe last chance, you know, seeing what they knew and kind of reading these stories of the trauma that happened hundreds of years into that process, right? Mm-hmm. You know, to me, it's just—it's really incredible. It's really like difficult to kind of process sometimes. 
yeah. how that has persisted for so long and that you have these places like these monuments these slave castles that are everywhere and it created this whole entire people like this diaspora that's kind of really in between in many senses mm. yeah and uh, picking up Beloved in Ghana, had you read the, and Beloved was written by Toni Morrison. Right, right. Um, and uh, a while ago. Right. It's, it's not a recent work. Right, um, right. But it's also, I think, one of her most like critically acclaimed and most celebrated works. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. That a lot of people read probably like in college courses um, yeah. and, and in different contexts. But had you read Beloved before Ghana or what was like your, your motivation to read it while you were there? So I actually hadn't read it before, but it's my mom's favorite book. Mm. And so before I had left, she had told me I should read it. And so I did. Yeah. Very wow. nice. Very mm -hmm. nice. And, and while you were in Ghana, you mentioned that you did visit like slave castles. Yeah, I did. Did you go by yourself? Did you go with others in a group? Like, how did you approach that experience? Yeah, so the first time I went, I went with my aunt. And it was really surreal. And it's a very kind of haunting place to be. Mm. Um, to also kind of think that so much suffering that leads to still a lot of suffering today, mm. you know, kind of many respects kind of started there and to kind of think of what maybe others were thinking was going on because it would have been such a mind-boggling like out-of-body experience I'd imagine um, and so to kind of sit there and kind of pay respects to the ancestors I kind of like to go even though it is you know uncomfortable in many respects mm -hmm. but um I do like to go and visit and kind of remember what was and also you know in a more positive light to remember the resilience of our people the people in Cuba who still hold on mm -hmm. to those drumming traditions or the people who are in Mississippi and they still eat their yams you mm -hmm. know so to think that even though we left or were taken there's still that remnants of Africa in us so much so in our culture and so for me I try to take it as a more inspiring okay. um, like remembering that mm. we've come from so much yeah you said something when we stepped out you said something about actually there's a lot of organizing happening in Ghana or in Accra by folks our age right can you touch a little bit upon that yeah I think right now the diaspora whether it's people who identify as Ghanaian American who maybe grew up in the US or maybe one parent is in Switzerland, one's Ghanaian, or they're like me, where they don't necessarily have a more direct familial tie to Ghana, but they're of color or they're black, um, are coming and going back to Ghana to try to build businesses and start up platforms to really support the communities there. Um, I met so many people who either grew up in Amsterdam or London or you know Chicago, and they were going back to Ghana because they felt like it was the time now to use the skills that they had learned maybe in a more Western school and to kind of bring that knowledge back to see how they could, you know, use it in such a way that would be um, more positive in the context of where they were. Mm. So there's a lot of projects, whether it's like curating art or creating platforms for music. There's a new African Film Society um, that just started up 
Um, there's a lot of really, I mean, the project with Rosario and Abrima. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of projects, I think, that are starting to really get a lot of energy and um, a lot of positivity, and people are, you know, really taking it seriously. So I find that to be really inspiring, that energy and that creativity. Yeah. yeah. And do you see yourself continuing to work in fashion? I, your your background is in international relations, <laughs> right? Do you still con- continue to see yourself working in fashion or, or taking a different direction, staying in the creative field? Um, I mean, I love working with the creative field, and I think that there is overlap. Because, I mean, when you study international relations, you're looking at cultures and peoples and economies, and that's yeah. no different than what we're doing because mm. we're in a different country we're working with artisans from Burkina Faso from mm. Mali from Ghana and we're trying to like literally create economies and yeah. like build a supply chain so the idea is yeah. you know if you have raw materials in country that you can sell for cheap and keep the processes in country then that's a lot of jobs within that chain that you're keeping there. That's a lot of money that you're keeping there that yeah. people can use mm-hmm. to do what they need to. Yeah. As opposed to necess- you know, selling it to China or the US or Europe, which is I think what typically happens mm-hmm. because there isn't always the infrastructure to do it. So I think for me it's not necessarily that different. Okay. because um, you know, we still work with the UN, we work with the International Trade Center, we work with a lot of these organizations that you would consider to be more traditionally um, international relations, I guess. Got it. Yeah. And fashion, although fashion, I think, is considered to be something that is very, like, women-focused, very mm-hmm. femme, yeah. we know that the fashion industry is very much dominated by men. Yeah. Right. By male designers true. and other mm-hmm. business people. In, in the context that you're working in with fashion, do you see the same experience or is it different as far as gender and who's involved? That's a good question. Um, hmm. I think within Ghanaian fashion, I see a lot more women involved, like at the top. Yeah, just based even on your yeah. posts and what I've seen of yeah. your posts. Kayla, I feel like I see a lot of women involved in, in the are. work and around you. There are, I mean, pretty much our, I mean, our entire management team is women, <laughs> you know, and they make a very conscious choice yeah. when they do their, you know, lookbooks and the creative shoots to have women of color, right. to have pretty much all very natural makeup, to have a lot of natural hair and curls, and that's a very conscious decision to have those images out there that way, um, and that's kind of, I think, really picking up, because even when we did uh, Ghana Fashion Week, this last year there was an article that came out about all the natural hair and the models and I remember seeing it like comparing it year to year and I remember thinking oh there's a lot more natural hair and I see a lot of curls and this is really good yeah. like to see that the hair and makeup is you know really paying attention to that and you know people are noticing that yeah. and so I think there are a lot of women that are involved in fashion in Ghana like in particular I, I think in the industry as a whole I think the people at the top the more decision-making positions tend to be more male-dominated but yeah. I think at least where it is right now from what I could see in Ghana I feel like there's a lot of brands run by a lot of really strong women that's incredible that's amazing yeah that's amazing especially you talking about like the hair and makeup behind it because we can see like at New York Fashion Week all the cultural appropriation that happens 
by right. these white designers, by using the baby hairs, using like right. co- putting cornrows on white women, white models, right? Very, very fair skinned, right. skinny, mm-hmm. like traditionally quote beautiful, right? Right. And then the hoops that have been a thing as well. So many, so many things. Yeah. So many things have been appropriated at like New York Fashion right. Week or maybe the more European ones. Right. So to see that very intentional, natural hair and makeup, I think that's that's incredible and yeah. very conscientious of what they want the brand to be, right? Yeah, and I think in general that's like a trend that was starting to see a lot more in Ghana was I think there's this misconception that if something's nice or if it's good, it's Western, mm. you know? And so you see a lot of like, cheaply painted gold things or whatever that is like China appealed to like this very western standard of what even like like uh, interior design or you know and you're just like mm, me. <laughs> you okay know? right but then there's a, I think there is you know like I was saying people of the diaspora who are coming back and saying there's a lot of really um, amazing handcrafted items that are from here. Right. Whether it's hand-woven kente or it's hand-carved tables mm. or it's um, maybe the braiding. Like, there's so many things that are so uniquely African that are skilled and have a lot of craft and technique. And I think changing the way that the marketing is done around them as opposed to being like, oh, it's from Africa. It's like $2. But, like, yeah. no, someone spent two weeks right. to right. weave this garment and then we had to make it into a skirt or we had to do something else and so just like you would not flinch about paying for something from maybe Gucci or Louis Vuitton like you know there's a lot that same quality you can get in Africa and I think the diaspora is really pushing that a lot Mm. because the people who have stores who tend to feature that type of um, that craft they tend to be Ghanaian but raised in Italy or Ghanaian raised in the U.S. So I think it's really interesting how that's working, that they're really trying to push that idea of um, really appreciating what craftsmanship in West Africa is. I love that you brought that up because that's something that not we've had this conversation although not specific to West Africa but you know in our Femtech episode um, we talk about really recognizing and acknowledging embracing and celebrating Mm -hmm. those very traditional like indigenous and feminine trades crafts skills like weaving basket weaving sewing like you're talking about creating Mm -hmm. handmade kente cloth right Uh, as soon as you said that I was thinking about like blankets made of like alpaca or yama which are really expensive in Peru right and um, well expensive in the sense of like the currency in Peru not actually like if you're Mm -hmm. talking dollars right right right. Um, but it's really expensive and it's like well why would I pay that much well why wouldn't you pay that much when a woman just wove this from an animal you know and created this beautiful intricate pattern so there's a similar movement yeah right I think it is and you know the thing that's really important is when you're talking about supporting local communities and communities of color, especially women who have often this responsibility of passing down this tradition or this craft, if it's not economically viable, like mm-hmm. if she can't support her kids on that, yes. then why would she teach her kids to sew or mm. why would she teach her kids to weave or to dye if it doesn't get them what they need in life? Right. So I think that's a, another part of preserving the tradition is also you know, if you can find a market for it, then someone's going to continue to do it. Mm. It'll 
Right. You, you let the tradition and that ancient knowledge live on in a modern context, right. in a capitalist context. Mm-hmm. Right. Where it's kind of like, like produce or perish. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true, you know, and sometimes it's interesting because if, like, and I'm in a more rural setting or if it's more um, people who are sometimes, you know, more local, maybe they haven't traveled as much, and then they see me wearing, like, you know, a batakari, which is, like, a very traditional garment with kente, they're like, why? Why, why don't you just wear, like, a pantsuit or something? And I'm uh-huh. like, why not? <laughs> this is so much more beautiful than a pantsuit. Right. <laughs> like, to me, this took way more time and effort, and mm. it's so beautiful, and it has this really rich culture to it. Like, yeah. I love this, and there's symbols, and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I think kind of changing that mentality yeah. will take a lot of time, but I think it's something that a lot of young people are kind mm-hmm. of working towards is like really embracing that yeah that that makes me think like how um how we perceive like what professional looks like right oh we talk about gosh, that a lot yeah. on the podcast yeah. but yeah. like why wouldn't you wear a pantsuit right that, right. that type of question it's like well does this mean i can do my job less like can i right. do it you know can i not do it as right. effectively or as well just because i'm wearing right. something or that you don't see as professional yeah exactly what's the real issue yeah exactly <laughs> Wow, there's so much there too because mm-hmm. you can talk about how, you know, I think that we are of a, I think each passing generation, mm-hmm. especially if you're of color or if you're of the diaspora, then there is this ability for us maybe to let go of certain like respectability yeah. things right. that are imposed, mm-hmm. that have been imposed. Yeah. And I think also like to be able to <laughs> reclaim things, right? Because if you're, a child of immigrants, you're, I think your your parents, if they're immigrants, they're trying to assimilate, right? They're trying right, to... Right. Usually, yeah. Usually, that, that's usually the case, right? Of course, that's not for everyone, true. but that is the case. So then if you're a child of immigrants, I think you you have that privilege to be able to try and reclaim something as opposed to your parents maybe are trying to forget that's something. That's very true. I don't know. I think maybe there's something there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it, it's true, you know, and kind of, I think as somebody who grew up with my mom being American but then my dad being Colombian and kind of having both of that Mm -hmm. I did feel like there was a push to be more American but then kind of me I always just felt more comfortable with my like Colombian family or Mm. with my I don't know with like when we were I don't know so I think it's just really interesting kind of what sometimes people think is like an advantage and they're trying to give it to you like some people will like straighten your hair because they they see it as a like you can't survive your environment unless Mm -hmm. you you know fit into a certain standard when you know in reality it's like this just grows on my head yeah y'all need to stop being so right (laughs) and is that can i can can i ask like how has your experience been like wearing your natural hair in the United States versus in Ghana. Mm. Have you noticed a difference? Is it the same? Have, like, is there a, definitely a different way that you're looked at or treated? Mm. I think so. But I think in Ghana, it's just, it's so layered though. Because there, some people perceive me as white, which I would never get in the US. I have, I have heard that before from the Tufts in Ghana, like groups, yeah. like at Tufts who had gone and studied and then they came back. And right. that's something that I had heard, that right. basically if you're not Ghanaian, like, by birth, right. then you're white, or you're, like, you're a foreigner. Right. No, <laughs> it's true. Like, I've had people be very confused about mm. 
you're obviously not African, so you're white. Interesting. <laughs> it's like a very, like, in their head, it's a very binary situation of yeah. what race is. Um, but then also, because of that, there's a lot of privileges that I'm not used to there. Okay. Then when I'm here, so, like, I remember a friend of mine actually pointed out to me how, like, just like something small like the waiters were extra attentive to me and then like kind of, and she's african she's cameroonian okay and they and she's darker skinned and they completely like didn't even pay attention to what she was doing got it and she kept trying to ask for help and it, the attention always seemed to like divert itself to me and mm. i think in the moment i didn't really notice um but and i started to like see it a lot more you know like there are areas where I think if you're dressed a certain way and you're Ghanaian or you're African, sometimes I can be a little picky about are you supposed to be in this space versus like someone like me who's very much either mixed for them or like American or just European or just not, you know, yeah. from somewhere else, they totally let it slide. Very interesting. Totally let it slide. Like, cause there was, during the times where people would ask me, oh, is there like a dress code for certain places? And I'm like, Okay. You know, and then I just kind of go however I am. And then, you know, maybe a friend who's maybe more African would have an issue. Got um, it. So I also ran into that, which is something I didn't really experience as a black woman in America because it was never in my favor. Mm. <laughs> so that was kind of an interesting thing to kind of adjust to, to learn to be aware of that. Yeah. And, and I think that's a really interesting experience that, especially when you go to any quote-unquote like global south or third world location, right, right. whether it be like the we both have we saw this in Cuba, right? right? Whether you're in Cuba, somewhere else in the Caribbean, Latin America, Mexico, Colombia, right. or whatever country you're in on the African continent, right. that people who live in that place, were born in that place, work in that place, are going to be treated way worse yeah. than any visitor or tourist or foreigner, even yeah. regardless of color sometimes, yeah. of the tourist or American or visitor. Yeah. The, the, the person coming from outside in, visiting and participating in that tourism economy in some way is treated better. Yeah. No, it's true. You know, you got that dollar privilege. That's what yeah. I call it. Exactly. Um, and it's really a shame. Cause, you know, especially when you're somewhere with your family and then you see it happen to your cousins, like, mm. against you kind of thing. And it's like, that literally is the same. Like, we're the same, like, we're literally the same people. Yeah. Right. You know, and that can be kind of painful, like, <sighs> colonialism. Colonialism. Yes, colonialism. Oh, it's a whole lot. There's, <laughs> there's so much to say roots. about it. I that's like, that's several other capitulos <laughs> that... I know. That's its own podcast. That's its own TBH. podcast. That really is. For the future. Yeah. But, you know, um, it, we're coming towards the end of our time here. Okay. Towards the end of Brown Girl Hour. Okay. So I just want to say, Kayla, again, thank you so much. And Kayla's just kind of here in between her travels. Where are you <laughs> going next? Um, I'm going to Malawi, which is in southeastern Africa. I'll be working with a Tufts grad. Yes. Also Latina. Also Latina. Dorian. Yes, she's um, creating uh, her own fashion line, ethical fashion to support local women, seamstresses. Her name's Renata, and the brand is called Mawai'i. So I'll be helping them set up their operations. Amazing. That's amazing. These South Americans just doing it. Just right? No, we are. What a coincidence. Right. <laughs> we that just is so interesting. To. I love it. <laughs> but yes, 
Yes, and we have one more song, right? We do. So can, can we talk about the, the song that we're going to end with? And if you want to say any anything else to our listeners, Kayla, like you want to leave uh, the name of your blog again or any other information, this is your time. Okay, awesome. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, so just check out my Instagram. You can follow my travels because I'll be in Malawi possibly back in Ghana who knows where I'll be right <laughs> you're just globe <laughs> so you know I always have lots a lot of interesting posts and meet a lot of really interesting people in the arts and the creative sectors um and link to my um blog is there Tejendo Experiences it's in Spanish and English um so I talk about my experiences in Africa now and more generally as an Afro-Latina. Kayla, once again, thank you so much thank you for so being much with for us. Being here. Of course, and anytime. Li- and listeners, thank you once again for tuning in to another capítulo of Brown Girl Hour. Yeah, we'll catch you next time. Besitos! <laughs> when are you an American Express member? When you travel with the American Express Platinum Card and have access to Centurion lounges at over 40 locations worldwide, you're a member. When your American Express Platinum Card gets you seated at exclusive tables at renowned restaurants through Global Dining Access by Resi, you're a member. When you arrive at live events through dedicated American Express card member entrances at select venues, yeah, you're a member. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Voy a ponerme la vacuna Prevnar 20 porque estoy en riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. La cual pudiera llevarme al hospital, así que preguntaré sobre Prevnar 20. 65 años o más, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20. Vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente. Una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar 20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar 20. When something happens to your car, you might say, No! My car! But what you really need to say is something that can actually help. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, State Farm is there to help you file your claim right on the State Farm mobile app. So, just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. 
Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter.